and welcome to another episode of the Awkward In Between podcast. It's a podcast where we, well, we're a couple of middle-aged white guys who have been navigating our way through the awkwardness of living in a rather diverse and uh, a strange culture, I guess, and trying to find out how do we best uh, become better citizens of, of love and compassion and interact more healthily with the world around us, but also give ourselves permission to ask some of the questions that we need to navigate that world. Um, Dave, so far we've had a lot of great conversations to do with spirituality and I guess the awkwardness of coming out of a, a fairly conservative evangelical upbringing and some of the, the difficult questions that people ask going on that kind of a journey. What have been some of your highlights for the, the podcast so far? Oh, I'm, I, I feel like I'm the guest today. Like, this is the first time I've kind of had to <laughs> zoom in. Like, normally we're sitting side by side. Maybe the guest is in the room. Maybe the guest is on the other side of the planet somewhere joining us via Zoom. And now now I feel like I'm the guest and you're the podcast host. It is true, actually. <laughs> I should have highlighted that from yeah, the beginning. Like, you are now on the I other know, side like, of the screen, the which is a little we, weird. And I'm here with the guest. Yeah, first time we've done this when you and I haven't been in the same room. But that's all right. Highlights so far, man. Like, I think for me, the, I, I did post uh, during the week when the Brady Toops episode came out that that's been my favourite episode so far, to which... My friend Paul Coleman uh, posted, you know I'm reading this right. <laughs> Him having been our first chat. So I've already managed to start offending our previous guests apparently. But uh, I, I, th- I really loved the chat with Brady. I just think there's such a, something really refreshing. Like he talks about trying to recapture, you know, seeing the world uh, in, in a new way, like kind of like a, a child does. And But I really get that mm. from him. Like it's not just words you really get the sense that there's something true about that in his life and it was like super inspiring. Hey, I found that really powerful. Yeah, I thought that was one of the, the, the great episodes too. And I think what, what you've done with Paul Coleman is that you haven't actually offended him. What you've done, you've guaranteed that he'll be back on a future episode to try That's and right. better. Come, come back and step it up, buddy. <laughs> and step it up. I'm assuming, Dave, I mean, we are on, as I say, different ends of the uh, the monitor tonight, but in, in the spirit yeah. of the podcast, I'm assuming you've got a beer next to you, don't you? <laughs> yeah, yeah, there it is. Oh, man, I got a fancy one for tonight. Uh, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it's a it's a collaboration between the um, brewery De Molen mm-hmm. and the boat rocker guys out of Melbourne. Uh, it's called Windmills and Weather Vanes. It's a bourbon bourbon barrel edition, Molish Imperial Stout ish. Nine and a half percent. What makes Haven't it? T- tried it yet? What makes it Molish? Does it like just get around loosely, or like what? What is it? <laughs> Yeah, just really, really easy, I guess. Yeah. But, uh, well, oh, there we go. J- just so happens, what and in the spirit, he's going to say, I did not neglect to bring oh. a beer, and I happen to have a Bent Spoke Cluster, which is a Cluster 8, an Imperial nice. IPA, which I will be. That's a great beer, man. Cracking open. Anyway, yeah. we, should, we should get on because uh, we've got our guest here tonight who is in, sitting in the room yes. with me. Do I get to open this bottle of wine? Yes. Um, our guest is not a beer drinker. Yeah, yeah, wine is also allowed. Absolutely. <laughs> Well, I, I, I'm, I have no idea what it is because it was a gift from Damo. Uh, Cab Merlot, wine of Australia. Mm. What this is going to tell me is whether he's good at picking wine. <laughs> <laughs> or whether he's just a cheap ass. Whether mother- he's just cheap. No. Yeah. <laughs> Let's see. I'll pour myself a glass of it all. It should be a deep, sophisticated red, just like you. Um <laughs> So let's get into it. Right, right. Now, what, what you guys are stuffing around there, Damon, yep. I, I did want to say one other thing too. That our, our last chat, mm. um, 
I've been thinking about that and since uh, our last interview, and I think it really brought up some things in me. Hey, like I'm, I, I realise that we're talking to somebody who had quite political differences to us. You know, like mm-hmm. as we said, is is kind of prime, you know, quite involved in the right side of politics mm. here in Australia. And I found myself really having to work very hard at nuance. Mm. So there were some times when statements were made about, um, let's say, the refugee, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know, situation in Australia. There, or we could be, you know, there, there were other things, you know, climate and uh, and whatnot. <laughs> and, but what I found interesting was because we weren't coming from exactly the same place, I had to work really hard at not kind of just like shutting down and going, oh, no, I'm not interested. Like to hear the nuance mm. was was work. Like I had to work at it to not go, no, that isn't exactly the thing that I have tended to believe. Therefore, I'm going to dismiss it completely. Yeah, that's really interesting, isn't it? Because I think that's one of the, the key elements of being able to engage with a diverse community is being able to not automatically yeah. get defensive about your own position. And yet it's such mm. a natural thing to do. Mm. Um, to simply, as soon as somebody says something that you don't assume to be true, um, well, you, you it's, can it's very easily butt, get riled. Think, right? So somebody says, oh, yeah, you know, we should open our arms to, to you know, refugees, which was a pretty much a direct quote from last mm. interview, I think. But uh, And then it comes, but, mm. you know. And it's not like I don't realise that that is a complex issue, you know. I know it's a complex issue. I've expressed that to other people, uh, and yet that but, my first reaction is that everything in me wants to kind of go, what do you mean, but? Mm. <laughs> I had a good um, quote today, if I can say something. Oh, all right. I, I think, hey, let, right. let, let, let's give you an introduction you first, all right? Introduce our guest first. Have, yeah. <laughs> I, can't just, I can't just put in my two cents first. No, so. no, you can put in your two cents in a second, but we need <laughs> to talk like you Just like um, two to- middle-aged white men to shut down a woman. <laughs> 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 this is exactly where this podcast is going to go tonight. Oh, that's this is brilliant. All right. So straight away, you've heard already, We, we you know that our guest is a woman tonight. She's not just any woman. She is a renowned country singer, has had a number one hit in the last 12 months. She's also an actress, has been on uh, The Young Rock and also in the recent Elvis movie with Baz Luhrmann, appeared in that as well, does plenty mm. of amazing things and also the anchor of the Songwriter Tris podcast, which I think is a top five Apple music podcast here in Australia as well. So lots of amazing things things coming from our guest tonight, Ray Lee. Now that everybody knows you by name, <laughs> give us your two cents. I have to say that was a better intro than it's probably on my website. So I might need to hire you to like write up my intro bio for me. Um, the quote I heard, which was relevant to the conversation you were having, having was, it is actually much easier to fool someone than to convince someone that they've been fooled. It's much easier to fool somebody than to convince somebody that they've been fooled. Yeah. Yeah, I know what you know what I hear that. Yeah, okay. I follow that actually. Yeah. All right. It took me a second to process, but Yeah, yeah. because we do we get it's defensive so and we don't want to admit mm. that we have been tricked. Mm. It doesn't feel nice to be mm. manipulated and tricked. And to admit that is to humble oneself 
and that is not a natural human mm. thing to do. <laughs> no, it's not. In fact, we have a joke, Dave and I, because there's a, there's getting back to beer for a second. Um, there's this particular beer that Dave goes on and on and on about called a West Leverin 12, which apparently is, yeah, it's, it's an exclusive beer that once upon a time you could only get from the monastery that brews it in Belgium. Mm. Um, and, and so it was, yeah, incredibly expensive and, and difficult to find. And we would joke about the fact that the cognitive dissonance of itself, that you've gone out of the way to get this particular beer, mm. makes it taste even better. And we're talking about that idea. If someone mm-hmm. was to then tell you after you'd spent like, you know, $1,000 to buy a pint of this particular beer and then tell you, well, actually, it was really just water out of the creek. You still wouldn't believe them because no. you don't want to know yeah. that you've been fooled out of $1,000. You'd still say that was the best yeah. beer I ever drank. Yeah, mm. no, that's exactly right. And it's it probably, um, I think there's a lot of businesses out there that and, and maybe politicians that utilise <laughs> this philosophy of if I fool enough people, they will defend my my status Yeah, um, blindly. My kids and I stood for three and a half hours in the line to go on a ride at uh, Disneyland a few years back. And uh, in all honesty, it was one of the most boring rides in history. But my kids to this day all jokingly will say it was the best ride I've ever been on because it has to be, right? Like <laughs> wasted three we hours kept, of your time. Should we, should we leave the line? No, we've come this far. Let's keep going. And then eventually the ride is boring as heck. And yeah, yeah. It's like so the all my kids say, oh, it was the best ride ever. <laughs> yeah, it's a hard one. Uh, and ba- based yeah. on that logic, like based on the logic that the ride's as good as the waiting time, the best li- ride you can ever go on is the Centrelink phone call, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Qantas uh, at the moment, I believe. Centrelink <laughs> do a lot of really good work for a lot of people. They do, they do. It is just a long wait sometimes. Yeah. Anyway, Ray, I want to dive in right now, okay? Because one of the things that we've talked about a little bit um, in this podcast, particularly in this first season, is probably some of those awkward moments in spirituality and navigating one's way through that sort of, um, I guess, environment. And we talked a little bit about that idea of being fooled. Um, and as you just mentioned before, it's easier to be fooled than to admit that you've been fooled. And I think for a lot of people, particularly, you know, given how much religion and Christianity and spirituality can be intrinsic to somebody's identity and upbringing, the idea that maybe what you've been taught to believe um, isn't true or at least is worth questioning can be one of those moments of going, oh, does this mean I'm admitting to being fooled, which is really difficult. Tell me about your experience, because from what I understand, you, you were a pastor's daughter, right? Or you are still a pastor's daughter? Is that He's still alive. Yep. Uh is he still and a pastor? Died, I don't know if that fact would change. Yeah, <laughs> um, it's an interesting, interesting point because a lot of people um, in my life, especially being the pastor's kid and being the kid at school that you know everyone knows, my dad's the pastor of the local church. Um, often people will challenge. It's like, oh, but scientists and and evolution and but 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 but, and I'm like, well, what does it matter? It's like if if the world is a billion years old or the world is 6,000 years old, does it change right now and today? Mm. Does it change how we're living and how we learn to love each other? Nope, then I'm not interested. So (laughs) that's kind of my basic philosophy as far as um, what is truth as far as evolution. Like I studied biomedical science. I had to study evolution at university Um, and, and through a lot of my stuff I've had to do a lot of questions and answers and scientific searching and I believe that we should 
always be allowed to ask questions and we should encourage each other to be curious and to ask questions and to follow your gut. Mm. Always follow your body. Always follow your heart in what you believe is the right thing to do, um, no matter who anyone is. And I've definitely grown up in a thing where you respect your elders and you do as you're told and you follow your pastors and your leaders of the church and all this sort of stuff. And all that ever got me was in trouble. Mm. Um, I was abused. I was taken advantage of. I was neglected. I was led astray so many times. Um, and I've had to grow up. I've had to learn by asking questions to always be curious, always seek the truth. It's not about not trusting anyone. Like I definitely have trust issues. I'm not going to say I don't. Mm. But the only way you can trust someone is to trust them. But people will always show you who they are. They won't tell you who they are, but they will always eventually show you who they are. And my advice to myself and everyone else is to always believe someone when they show you who they are. Mm. And don't ever expect anything different from them. It's great if people break your expectations, but I've lived a, a much happier life once I've learned who people are to expect them to continue being who they are because that's who they've shown me that they are. Mm. Yeah, there's a philosopher, Peter Rollins, and one of his quotes, I'm not sure if he's quoting himself, whether or not he's quoting um, philosophers before him, but there's this idea that people are always telling you the truth and even when someone is telling you you know, like verbally, if their words are telling you a lie, the fact that in that moment they are lying to you is actually sharing something very true of themselves about mm. their own self-deceptions or their own perception of how they want you to perceive them um, or whatever it might be that is communicating something that they themselves are probably even in denial about. Oh, I love that. Mm. Yeah, and totally. Like I've had, I've done almost 200 podcasts now and I can tell so much about someone when I'm interviewing them from what they're not saying, mm. um, and and it's uh, for me, and, and maybe this is because I've done a little bit more work, or I'm further down the psychological getting to my, know myself journey. But to me, you know, it's obvious of what they're denying or lying to themselves about, let alone what they, you know, whether they're naturally not sharing it on purpose. They probably believe what they're saying. They just haven't done that work yet to actually work out well, why is it that they're saying that you know why is it that they believe that and that's I think it's part of life and my my auntie she's a very wise woman she told me to always love people where they're at mm. and you know you love a baby when they're born and they can't do anything <laughs> at what point do we start to judge people you know and start not loving them because they can't do certain things you know um, and that that was quite a hard thing for me growing up. I think I was very judgmental of other people who couldn't do the things that I could do. Mm. <laughs> and uh, I've had to learn being a mom as well and, and just being in the, in, in the community. I've learned that it's important to love people where they're at in life, in whatever they're going through, because we're all changing constantly. Mm. We're all growing, hopefully. Um, may not be at the same rate and it may not be in the same direction, but that's okay. Everyone's on their own journey. Love and compassion kindness. Am I sounding like my dad yet? <laughs> <laughs> well, that's interesting to me, um, Ray, because I was a pastor's kid too. Um, first in kind of uh, a more conservative tradition, more evangelical kind of churches of Christ, but also then, then later in more kind of Pentecostal Hillsong-esque kind of circles. I did actually do two years of Bible college 
at Hillsong as well. Wow. So how are you going um, with that? Well, yeah, look, you know, you do come to realise that some of it was more traumatic than you knew at the time, I think. But mm. um, but the journey of leaving maybe has been the hardest thing, you know, like and when I say leaving, I still got heaps of friends and family in all of those circles, love them dearly. Um still probably would kind of be comfortable calling myself a Christian, mm. uh, except for all the baggage that it carries, right, because mm. of what how other people, what other people think that should mean. Yeah. Um, and what people have done in the name of Christianity. Well, yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. Plenty mm. of horrible things. Especially Hillsong. No, no doubt. Yikes. Um, <laughs> 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 Well, I, I look back even on my college years, you know, and mm. just the, the um, it was abuse. It was, mm. you know, and, and I find that really hard to verbalise mm. that, that the treatment of, our, of the college students when I was there, myself included, was downright toxic and abusive. But I find mm. it really hard to verbalise because a lot of the people that were involved, I still think of really well mm. in my head. and. Uh, and I guess I also know that I went on in some of those circles to probably not treat people real well myself in, in you know, over certain years. So yeah. it's still something that I'm uh, finding quite hard to put words to. Yeah. But what was, the, what was that journey like for you kind of? Was it easy or, or challenging to leave? Um, I really respect that and I really appreciate you sharing because um, you're right that especially if you've got a lot of friends and family in the church still um, and you had that experience, how do you verbalise that when, you know, you felt manipulated and abused um, and betrayed and taken advantage of to then leave and go, hang on a second, that didn't felt right. But then on top of that to say, oh, my gosh, the way I treated other people when you didn't know any better. Uh. So have a bit of self-compassion and love that, you're only ever doing the best that you can. Like I have a bit of guilt around being a teenager and telling people that Jesus loves them <laughs> and that, mm -hmm. you know, they really need to go to church or whatever it is. And because I didn't realize, like, I think of it now, I'm like, oh my gosh, that is so judgmental. <laughs> so like that's mm -hmm. not necessarily loving on people. Um, and so that's hard, but I think it's good that you're, you're trying to find a voice and you're finding vocabulary for it. I remember mm. I was – school captain, house captain, and I was kind of my arm was twisted into being the youth worship ministries leader in year 12, all while I was trying to become a doctor. So I had a really hectic academic structure as well. Mm. And um, and I finally said yes, and, like, I got to the, towards the end of year 12 and I totally burnt out and, and the worship ministry leader thing was the thing that had to go. Um, mm. But then at the end of year 12 as well, they were like, you know, you're going to do the internship. You know, because they were kind of affiliated. I think they were AOG. I don't know. And then some, somehow affiliated with mm -hmm. Hillsong. And a lot of people who are still good friends went and did the Hillsong thing as well, the course, the college. Um, and I'm a very observant person. And that becomes from a childhood, like an eight years of my childhood, um, going through child sexual abuse. But um, of someone who used the Bible and the church as his way of manipulating and abusing and me mm -hmm. and so I became very observant and while I was growing up in the church I saw these people who were a few years older than me go do these internships 
And by the end of the year or two that they do these inter- internships at the church, they were no longer Christians, right? Mm. Like they had been so used and so abused to the point that they actually turned on God. And so when they asked me at the end of year 12, they're like, oh, so you got to do the internship? And I was like, I like being a Christian, thanks. No. <laughs> like, yeah. how about no? <laughs> like, you've got no evidence to, to say that <laughs> that's actually what I should be doing. Um, and, and since then, That's awfully you know, insightful for that age, I, I think. Well, I, I since realised that I do have a natural ability. I'm very mathematical and I have a natural ability to see large corporate structures um, and that's worked to my benefit um, in, in a lot of areas of my life. Um, and so I, I saw the structure and I was like, well, A plus B plus C equals this and I don't want that and I don't know why anyone else would want that, so why do they keep doing this, you know? Mm. But I didn't realise that not everyone could see that kind of quite big system that was happening. Um, so, so I have multiple experiences of you know, being a servant, sacrificing myself to to be the best worship ministries leader, an example to the young people, and I was the first non-Catholic school captain at a Catholic school in a small country town, um, and I would go to Planet Shakers every year, you know, and I saw <laughs> Guy Sebastian, you know, one year I'm at Planet Shakers in Adelaide and he's on stage worship leading, and the next year he's this mega D celebrity in Melbourne or whatever, and like... Um, that, you know, I saw all of that and and there was a part of it that was great, but there was a part of it that was really missing for me. And like I said, I'm, I was asking questions and when I was a kid, I had two places to ask questions, a really out-of-date encyclopedia mm. that my parents got as a hand-me-down from friends and a Bible. Mm. And so I studied both mm. of those. I didn't have Google. I didn't have the internet. I studied both and, like, the Bible has got some fantastic lessons in it for life like mm. jesus was the greatest storyteller of all time and i was, I was doing another mm. podcast today i'm being a bit of a podcast whore today <laughs> um but like i said i grew up in an environment where arts was not a job it was not a thing that you did it was a hobby or a side thing or whatever but it was not how you contributed to society mm. <laughs> um and so i didn't even consider it as a thing and yet the entire world that I grew up in was centered around this Jesus person who was essentially one of the greatest storytellers of all time. He was an artist. Mm. Like that is how he he told stories mm. to to connect his and, and to get his message across. And I was like, how did people think that that's not a thing? Mm. That is that's a total thing. So um I think everyone has to have their own faith, everyone has to have their own belief system. Um but people in churches and people who call them Christian, selves Christian, they're still people. Mm. We're all people. Um, I've seen my family and my parents not just have elderly abuse, but I, I think it's just called Christian abuse. Mm. Like the teaching of blindly following, blindly trusting, blindly believing that someone is a good person and they're not going to take advantage of you and they're not going to use you just because they say they're a Christian. Mm. Like I had a, a, mm. a guy who I called uncle who molested and abused me for eight years of my childhood mm. and he manipulated me using the text and the word of God. It's like people, we're all, we can all be good and we can all be evil. We are human beings. Whether you say you're a Christian, whether you say you're a Buddhist, mm. doesn't matter how you identify, we all at any given point in life can make good or bad decisions. And I've made plenty of good and bad decisions. 
and you know that that's the humbling part of being human um but the way that in my head growing up it was like if they're a christian you can trust them mm. you know and like that's not true <laughs> mm. I, I don't think i know any yeah. christian that has ever not had a bad experience where they've been taken advantage of by someone who called themselves a christian in the church it's like there's con people out there going i know that if i go to this church and i say that i'm a born again christian that people will trust me and they will invest in my company or they will do this or they will do that and you know that's you're a sitting duck doesn't matter who you are agreed i think you know that highlights for me i think an issue not just you know within christianity but i think in the way that western society tends to want to have these hierarchical um, hierarchical structures so like in christianity i mean it's a one where when that trust gets abused people get really upset and up in arms because mm. they have this expectation that somebody you know that the church institution and i think we've become a bit more cynical about it now but i think you know go back 20 30 years like when you know Things were st first coming out about you know, um, child sex abuse within the Catholic Church. Mm. People were so offended because they thought, "Here's this institution where people are supposed to be um, a better than, than than the average human being in some respects." And I see that in the political. Yeah, but where does that come from? Like, and that's what I mean. <laughs> and that's what I mean because I see that in politics as well, right? Like you know, in in politics, we have this idea that our politicians, like the leaders, prime ministers, or whatever, are somehow of a higher moral standard or a higher ethical standard than the average person and i think at the end of the day what we don't what we fail to realize is that they are the average person like mm. there is no special person who suddenly by right of being some sort of superhuman mm. um, finds themselves in the position of church leadership or national leadership or whatever it might be and i think that's a problem that we have in society when we start placing people on pedestals we expect them to be better than mm -hmm. us rather than realizing that they are just like us, mm. um, and that's why it disappoints us so much when they when they reveal themselves in some ways not only just like us, but possibly even worse than us. I think it is important. Um, I've always believed in that. I don't. I think it's. I think it is scripture based. But where they say that um, a person in leadership is judged more harshly, mm. right? Like that kind of concept. And I think when it comes to say you know sporting heroes who make big mistakes, and or or even you know the leader of a Hillsong church being, you know, getting into trouble for things. Setting the example, particularly for children, mm -hmm. I think is really important um, because we do need to have people to look up to and to inspire us and to people, people to set an example. And when those people are there inspiring us and, and setting an example, when they do make mistakes, it's, a, it's kind of like so – uh, soul surgery, you know, mm. we, we do actually need to make sure that there's a clear message put out there to people who are looking up to that person, whether this is right or wrong. Because as a parent, that's our number one job is to teach our children the difference between wrong and right and what's okay and what's not okay and what's good and what's bad. Like they don't, they don't know. They're just, they're just babies, mm. you know. They've got to learn and grow, but they only know what they know if we show them the right way. Um, so that... That kind of aspect, I think, it's not so much that they're judged more harshly, but there are bigger consequences because there is a bigger consequence to society because people are watching and kids, more importantly, kids are watching. Uh, so, Ray, one of the things that I'm kind of interested in um, in one of the, uh, the stuff that you're saying, because from what I hear from you, you've had a whole bunch of really kind of complex um, and difficult, obviously, situations growing up within a, a church environment. Um and, and having trust uh, betrayed within that environment. Mm. Um, how has that 
experience kind of shaped where you are now in terms of your own understanding of, say, spirituality? Um, because from what I hear from you, you, you've got this capacity to differentiate between the institutions and even the people within the, the institutions and yet, and like the philosophies themselves, like in some ways I feel like there are philosophies and ideas um, within your Christian upbringing that you actually still hold on to um, with some degree of, of grounding. Is that true? Absolutely. Mm. Um, it's funny because... I did, I've, I've, you know, I've, I've dedicated all three of my children um, and I've tried to be a part of a church environment, becoming a family and becoming a mother um, and just more and more of, you know, going to different churches, just found there were certain influences and um, that I just didn't want in my life or my children's lives um, along the lines of judgment, gossip, closed-mindedness, not having freedom of questioning things, things like that, that it's like, okay, you know, and, it, and it's felt very natural. It's been very easy. It's not like I've gone, you're all terrible and I'm never doing this again. It's just like, okay, it's just not where I'm meant to be, you know, and that's cool. Um, but it's, it is interesting because I do, I know that I have, and I don't talk about this a lot, but um, because just because I don't go to church doesn't mean I don't have my own belief system in love. And, I mean, Christian is supposed to mean a follower of Christ, and I do believe that Christ was a prophet of love and that he shared an example of ways that we can love each other. Um, and I, so in that sense, I am, I am a Christian, absolutely. I, I love a lot of the teachings and I still um, reflect on them a lot, but I don't go to Bible study and I don't hang out with a lot of Christians, not because of that but because there's been teachings that have come along the way that I've noticed in religion and within um, that kind of walk of closed-mindedness, of not allowing people to ask questions um, because you can't manipulate and control someone who asks questions, uh. right? And so people in power don't want us to do that and, and they will use manipulative tactics to shut that down. And that is in my definition, evil, mm. <laughs> you know, to try and control and manipulate another human being is evil. Mm. Um, and so for my, my, my gut, um, I am not in that circle at the moment, but you know, if I was using Christianese, I would say that my life is still focused on the mission of sharing love mm. and good stories, which has definitely been set an example by my my understanding of Jesus and the teachings in the Bible, um, which I kind of express through my latest song, which is called Love Me. My opening line is, I'm walking on water because Jesus showed me how, mm. right? Like he, here's an example to me, absolutely, and I am who I am because of those teachings, because of what I was going through and I couldn't talk about it and I totally mm. relate to not being allowed to talk about your sin and shame being a born-again Christian, you're not allowed to be sad because otherwise your faith isn't good enough, right? Mm. So I I totally relate to that, not being able to talk about it. And so because I couldn't talk about it and I didn't have Google or anything like that, I had to find the answers I was looking for in the Bible mm. or an outdated encyclopedia, which was pretty <laughs> useless, I'll tell you that. So my, my answers, are, I'm very versed in the Bible because I studied it like a madman mm. because otherwise I was going to go insane. Because I was, I was suffering as a child. I was suffering so much internally. I had so much internal turmoil 
because I was so conflicted by what my body was saying was wrong uh. and yet this person and environment in a way was telling me it was, it was right that I was so conflicted, I was so shut down and I was, I was so desperate for an answer that I, I studied that Bible so hard, which in a way was good because I also understand that everyone uses it in their own way and they'll pick and choose what they follow and what they preach and what they'll teach and what they'll, you know, use to manipulate their own agenda. Um, mm. So it, it's an interesting concept. It's not, Like I said, it's not something I've talked about a lot. I do think that as human beings we need, need to be connected to our bodies and we need to listen to your gut and, and your body and your gut is always right. Mm. always right and never let anyone tell you that your body is wrong. And mm. that, yes, okay, I'm coming as a child sexual abuse victim, survivor or whatever you want to call it, um, but that's one thing that I teach my children. There is never a bad question. You can ask absolutely anything and always listen to what your body is telling you and your body is talking to – our body talks to us all the time. Mm. And if you ignore it – you will get sick <laughs> and your body will just scream at you with whatever that sickness or that pain is mm. until you listen. You know, our bodies are talking to us all the time and if we don't listen to it, it gets mad <laughs> and we get sick and it causes so many issues, you know. You've got to listen to it, follow it. Sometimes you don't even understand why and there's no logic, but in my experience, years later down the track, I've had an answer. Sometimes there's no answer. Follow your body. It'll always be the right thing to do. I, I remember throughout the, you know, the Hillsong-esque years, <laughs> so many times I've heard this this phrase put out there. It's like, you know, like, um, don't don't let your belief be, uh, what is it, like, but don't don't let your experience determine your belief. But you know, bring your experience up to the level of what you know is true, what the Bible says, which of course, in that context, always at the time means what the person telling you that thinks the Bible is saying. Um, and mm. and so just to hear that, you know, and, you, and you've shared that a couple of times already so far since we've been chatting. And every time it kind of just it just hits me hard. It, it's the opposite of what gets told to us in so many um, church environments, where it's like, no, don't trust your feelings, don't trust your body, trust the Bible. If if the Bible says this, then you've got to have faith to believe that that is true, and and then by having faith, you'll see your experience or what you're feeling, you know, rise to what the Bible says. Yeah. What a lot of bullshit. Seriously. Look, it's our curious nature. Like mm. it's our curious nature fighting against each other and, and there needs there does need to be a balance. Like my six year old, right? He's going through this phase of, well, what happens if I don't follow the rules? You know, he's pushing mm -hmm. the boundaries, mm -hmm. right? We all do that. Nothing amazing happens if we don't push the boundaries. Mm. Um however, it, it's it's undeniable that we can definitely learn from other people. Mm. We don't always have to learn from experience. That's why we have science and research and, you know, they do research on LSD and they can give you a pretty pretty accurate summary of what the results of that might be or mm -hmm. blah, blah, you know, whatever it is. And you can choose then to listen to that advice 
or you can choose to have your own experience. A lot of us like to learn from our own experiences. There's nothing wrong with that. That's Mm. fine. It can be incredibly humbling. (laughs) However, I also do think that it is wise to listen to the advice of those who have come before us, history and all that sort of stuff. Mm. And look, if I don't have to experience a negative thing um, because someone else has experienced it and they, they want to avoid me, the suffering and the pain, by sharing their experience with me, I am all ears. <laughs> and that's the same thing. You know, I tell my son, why do I have to look each way, you know, three times before I cross the road? Well, probably because you get hit by a car and die if you don't, right? Mm. But he doesn't know that. He doesn't understand that. He's a kid. He doesn't see it. So sometimes, you know, I don't think there's anything wrong with listening to and, and following rules that have been given to us by people who've come before us. Mm. For, for those sorts of safety reasons. Um, but I don't shame him for asking me the question. For sure. I just help, you know, I explain it to him. Yep. I say, well, you know, there's cars. So when he asks questions, that's great. I answer them. If he's not asking questions, and I just he just needs to be told what to do. That's fine as well. I'm just going to tell him what to do. Mm. Um, and I think in life we need to kind of have that mentality. I mean, I had kids in school asking me, asking me, I don't know why, but the kids in school saying, like, well, why can't we have sex before? Before marriage. Mm. Well, it's like, well, the Bible also says, wash your hands before you eat your meals. When they wrote that, they didn't understand any concept of germs. Mm. They didn't have that as a rule. Like, they didn't know why just people had had experiences of, I didn't wash my hands, I ate my food, I got sick and I died. You know, so (laughs) maybe wash your hands before you eat your meals. And Mm. it became like a religious tradition that you had to do this. It was a a thing. And, and, you know, I, I think, and in my brain from what I was learning was the same thing with sex. It's like practice safe sex. Mm. Great. Take care of your body. You only have one body. Mm. Life is better if you're healthy. <laughs> I don't think anyone will disagree with that fact that it's it's better when you have quality of health. Mm. And so I think a lot of those sort of Old Testament things were there to pass on some wisdom of how to have the best quality of life. Great. Yeah, you know, with with the knowledge that they had, right? With the like knowledge that they had. 5,000 yeah. years ago yeah. in the context that they had. <laughs> now, which, save sex, go for your life. Right, exactly. Like <laughs> in 2022, you look back and go, gee, that's really backwards. But if you were living 500 years before that, you go, my goodness, that's really progressive. Like mm. now that we've learned these skills, we're not dying as much as what we used to. This right. is actually kind of cool. <laughs> I find it, one of the things I think is really interesting um, is that need to have, because you mentioned before about, you know, trusting your body and, and things like that. And Dave, you kind of talked about that, having the experiences and things. And I want to tie this back into something you said before, Ray, about, you know, like um, exercising power and control and manipulation over others is an evil in itself. And I think one of the, the you know, and this gets used in a way to manipulate other people within cults and conservative, you know, um, is to say, well, because your emotions can be manipulated, that's why you need to trust something objective. And of course, then within, you know, like a very fundamentalist thing, and they'll say, and that objective thing is the Bible and and, and our interpretation thereof. And right? the leader's interpretation of thereof, right? Mm. I mean, and that's why I see things like um, science and history, maybe the shared human experience of love, things like that, um, as being such powerful anchors because they help us to navigate the difference between well, what is you know 
because I mean that's the great thing about like scientific data, for example. Often there are things that you know, common sense is one where people have this gut feel idea of what common sense is, but then when you actually put it up against some scientific data, you realise, oh, there are some things that we've always believed to be true and felt to be true that actually aren't true. It's been born mm. of superstition and other forms of emotional and spiritual manipulation. Yep. Um, and so there's this degree in which we are constantly needing to have the experiences but also measure those experiences against other external factors as well. And I think mm. the more factors and things, you know, sources of information that we can gain authority from, the better we can actually learn to understand our experiences, which is one of my critiques, I think, of fundamentalism is where it goes, well, we just decide that we're going to make this particular ancient collection of texts our objective truth. <laughs> And I think, well, I think that's problematic. You know, where, where, did, where does that originate from? Um, anyway, what I wanted to jump onto, right, just to steer this in a completely different segue now. Okay. But still based on that idea of you know, manipulation, control, um, and power over another person being an absolute evil. Because I, th- I, I agree. I think, you know, there is ways in which we are constantly and continuously uh, being manipulated for the benefit of others that wish to have power over us. Mm. One of the areas, and we, we, you and I are actually talking about this before we started the podcast um, in the sphere of like domestic violence and things and the idea mm. that, you know, in, in traditional, you know, aggressive domestic violence, you know, you'll see, um, you know, men traditionally generally exercising manipulation and power through physical strength and abusive violence. It's because your vocabulary is terrible. Yeah. <laughs> And often they find, <laughs> and, and you know, and, and in a lot of cases, that's the case. And, and to be honest, though, I think the same is to be said for a lot of kind of emotional abuse as well. Is that people lack the ability to be able to speak intelligently and vulnerably on whatever, and so the best way they can try and gain control over the situation is to use emotional tactics. Articulating emotions is a learnt skill yes. that is not taught at school. Hundred percent, hundred percent agree. What I'm kind of curious to be, or in you know, and this is where. Or in church, exactly. So, to, right. So here, I mean, let, let's get into a, a, what I think could be an awkward conversation, but one between, you know, I think between good friends is that idea. And then publicly put into the world forever. Public, exactly. <laughs> Just the oh, three of us. <laughs> Here we go. Okay. Yes. Um, is the idea that I think, you know, like, because you, you and I are both musicians and Dave's also worked, you know, in the music industry for well, a significant well, part of his life. Yeah. And he's Noise. also a drummer, but he used to and run festivals, drummer. right? He oh, used yeah, to run cool. this festival called Easterfest, just so I can have oh. a shot of my beer. That's uh, Cheers. <laughs> mm. Oh, do you have to drink when you say Easterfest? Yeah, we have oh, a drinking okay. game that every time Easterfest gets mentioned, we take a shot oh, now. Dear. But um, anyway, within the music industry, I'm a by the way. within the music industry, there's this, <laughs> um, I guess, two movements that are being pushed at the moment. And one of the traditional things that happens in the music industry is the whole idea that sex sells. Right, and, and that just doesn't happen in this music industry, but that happens in a lot of advertising, mm. um, is the idea that sex sells. And in some ways, I think that that is a, uh, it's a manipulative process. It's one in which is being used to generate, you know, like a, a Pavlovian response in people. You get a hormonal rush, whatever it might be, mm. feel good, dopamine or whatever, to buy a product because sex is being sold as part of it. Right, yep. Yeah, right. And I think that's problematic. Um, there's also within the music industry at the moment a real push against um, the way in which many women have been preyed upon by people in power, you know, positions of executive power and other things like that. Right? Oh my goodness! Yeah. Okay. Yeah, which is happening, which has happened a lot, and mm. it's disgusting. I guess my question is, from 
yeah, it's easy to to see the evil that comes from um, men that have preyed on other women mm. and manipulated them and used power and exercise power over them for sex. My question is for you as a woman, like, do, is there a degree in which sex is being used to manipulate and exercise power over others, specifically, I guess, men, but not necessarily because I think we're actually in a, a huge sexual awakening where we're realising too that women actually enjoy sex a lot as well. Have you heard... Um, the song "Push 'Em Up, Jill." <laughs> I, I I have heard the song. That is a great that is a great self plug. I love that because I mean it's it's a funny song that mm. was made in it, it came from a joke that was made in mm. jest over this exact situation, yep. hanging out with people making jokes. However, there is a, an awkward, uncomfortable truth that I've spoken to many people after releasing that song especially with men, mm. that women like to use their sexuality as a way of controlling and manipulating men. Mm. Mm. Can I get an amen? There's no other women in this conversation, but <laughs> this is something that I think it's not just like, oh, hey, we've got this superpower. Women have had to learn to survive and evolve mm. in a world where we are a minority and suppressed and we're not allowed this and we're not allowed that and we have to be super fucking human and we have to be prude and we're not allowed to be sluts mm. and we're not allowed to enjoy sex and we've got to be kind to everyone and we've got to raise children and we've got to – oh, my gosh, mm. there is so much pressure on being a bloody woman, mm. right? And so – Heck yes, we are going to find any tool we can use to make our lives a little bit easier, mm, right? Mm. Just a little bit easier. And it's hard. It's hard. It's, it's, it's such a, an awkward topic. Mm. And yet it is so shameful. However, I have done a lot of research in this topic. Um, and, and there's a Netflix TV series out at the moment called Pleasure, I believe it's called. Mm -hmm. And it's the best sexual education for women I have ever ever watched mm. if you're a woman please go and watch this mini series on women's pleasure and sex because it is so important sex by the world health organization if we're going to talk about science mm. is classified as essential as water mm -hmm. sleep uh -huh. and food <laughs> like it's sex is a is a natural essential part of our human survival mm. right we we need it not just to reprocreate, not just to make children, but to connect mm. with human beings uh -huh. and to connect with our own bodies. And like we talked about listening to our body before, your body is always right. That's a hard one when it comes to sex because you're going to walk past a guy at the beach with no shirt on and you're going to be filled with lust of like, hello, you mm. know, you watch the Dwayne Johnson films, right? Or Arnie Schwarzenegger, and they got shirts off and their muscles are out, and you're like, oh my God, like, yeah, that, that, your body reacts to that stuff, right? That yeah. you, you've, unless, you know, or whatever. Like, we're, when we're attracted to someone, our bodies are going, hello, like, and they can get a bit turned on. Mm. There's nothing wrong with that. That's no, fine. That's, that's right. desire. That is, that exactly. is good. That's, that's normal that human hormones good, normal doing what they're supposed stuff. to do. And then it gets shamed. Yeah. Like, you can't do that, you know? Oh, my gosh, you're attracted to that other woman. You're cheating on me. Mm. You know, and then, oh, my God, and then there's all this other stuff and it just gets complicated. And then we go into attachment theory, uh -huh. right? And and then it goes, and attachment theory is all about how you were raised and, and your attachment to your mum and dad. And that stuff that we learned before we were even five to seven years old, like there is 
we are so lucky that we live in a world full of um, research where people are actually asking these questions. Mm. These questions are being asked and they are being discussed and it is fantastic and and I could talk forever. I'm still learning about a lot of it. But as a woman, like I said, it does, it comes back to that. Listen to your body. Mm-hmm. Ask questions. The mind and the body, they work together, right? Or they should. With me, I had um, sexual trauma mm. and I've been through sexual violence in my life and I've done a lot of work. Mm. I've done a lot of work. And a lot of that work is that disconnect between the mind and the body and they're not working together, mm. you know? And so I've had to do a lot of work on how do I fit and how does that work? Because if I just listened to my body, I'd be out having sex with all the other guys that everyone that hits on me that I think is hot, you know? Mm. Like, And that's also not emotionally healthy. You've got to have boundaries, right? <laughs> You've got to have boundaries and have values and have things that you live by and, and multiple layers that you use to protect yourself. Mm. Um, but at the same time, being free to actually ask those questions cause, and, and let it out mm. and make noise. Mm. And if you don't have the vocabulary or the articulation to say it, move your body, make mm. a sound. It's called somatic therapy. I don't know if you guys have ever looked into somatic stuff before. Got to move that body. Mm. You know, let it out. There's this energy within us that is incredible. Mm. If you haven't heard of somatic therapy, if you don't dance, if you don't like to move, do it. Mm. <laughs> because even if you do it when no one's watching, there is stuff in our bodies that is trapped because we suppress stuff because we're shamed by society and what everyone else thinks of us and the reality is no one else cares Mm -hmm. really right like every projection that everyone else is thinking about you is is a projection of their own belief about themselves so really most of the time and this is something i kind of only recently came to a few years ago before i started singing in public was like i could walk down the street naked Mm right, and have a big news thing all over the world, woman walks down the street naked and there's going to be a whole bunch of slander and comments and mm-hmm. they'll be like, yeah, go woman, self-embodiment, empowerment, blah, blah, blah. And then there's going to be like, you should be ashamed and like think of the children and like there's going to be a multitude of opinions, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But is any of it personal? No. No. Does anyone actually go, oh, I wonder what's going on with that person? Mm. Is she okay? Mm. What's she doing? Why? Why is she doing that? Does anyone care? Yeah. No. No, yeah. they don't. <laughs> right? So it's not personal. And, I, like, I, you know, as an actor and a musician, I go out and I do these auditions and they'll see me for two minutes and they'll, or they'll see a self-tape and they go, yes or no? Mm-hmm. Is it personal? No, they don't know me. Yeah. When my husband says something, that might be personal. <laughs> but we have that conversation and that's where we need to be able to communicate with each other when we're in relationships. But you don't need to have the whole world love you. You know, you just need to have a few good communi- a few good friends, a few good people that you know love you unconditionally that are willing to ask the right questions and have the conversations, mm. even if they're ugly. Yeah. And life's all right. Totally. <laughs> Totally. I don't know. I, I don't know how that conversation. No, came that out. that was Sorry. actually there was so much so much good content right there. <laughs> that I'm just you know still sitting with it all. You can re-listen to yeah, it yeah. on repeat and like <laughs> analyze it. <laughs> well, what it reminds me of, there was a couple of things that really struck out to me, mm. and I think 
first one, that, that whole sense of um, sexuality being uh, intrinsic to connection, mm-hmm. right? Like that idea, yep, that through our sexuality we're able to connect with other people. We're also mm-hmm. able to connect with our own bodies and that's healthy. Like that is a really healthy, powerful thing to do and, and we should be. And that's probably one of the problems within very conservative circles is that that has been shamed and, and demonised in some way and seen mm-hmm. as being that's an evil thing. We don't do that. We don't touch ourselves. We don't have, you know, engagement with other people or you know, oh, you've got God. to touch yourself if you're not touching yourself and you're listening to this just turn the podcast off <laughs> and go and masturbate <laughs> so seriously find yourself a, uh, a room i think we've got the title of this episode but, uh, absolutely <laughs> absolutely i couldn't think of anything uh actually no that's not true i actually find i find these kind of conversations actually very sexy in themselves so i was gonna say there's probably nothing more less sexy than this podcast but that's if you're an adult i'm sorry it depends on what the age range is. <laughs> but what's interesting right so we've had the, okay. the the church and you know or conservative you know powers that be really want to demonize and lock sex away and make it something we don't talk about and then we have that other end and there's right while we're plugging our own song so i've got this song <laughs> I have a song called The Valley and it talks about an experience I had when I first moved to Brisbane um, coming from a country town um, and I'd come to the big city for the first time and there was this place called The Valley that, you know, everyone talks about in Brisbane. I wanted to go check it out. You know, what's what's cracking in the valley? Why is this place so great? And I walked in. I'm still trying to work that out, by the way. I I thought I'll go out (laughs) on the town and have a look. And I walk into a bar. I thought I'll just go into a bar, random bar, and and see what's going on. Um, So here I am, naive, innocent Christian, you know, boy, you know, country boy that Growing up in a Christian home, walks into this bar, and the next thing you know, there's a waitress coming, and she's taken off her top, and she's like, "Do you want to buy me a drink?" And I suddenly realised I'm in a strip club. <laughs> but what was fascinating about that experience? I what, wish I was there and I saw that. That ah, would have been hilarious. <laughs> what I find really interesting, and and here's a theory that I've got, I've currently got, and that's why I'm re- I want to really pitch this to you mm-hmm. um, as a woman to see your thoughts on this too, because I have this theory that society. Use you know creates this division between men and women um, around the ideas of sexuality and power and linking those two kind of concepts together. Mm-hmm. And on one hand, like, like in a in a sex club, you have this transactional experience. And this is not to say that it, that it's an ultimate like strip clubs themselves are an ultimate evil or that everybody that goes there is doing it for this particular motive. But something Mm. that I identified was this idea that on one hand, you've got the women working in the strip club that are seeing the men, getting back to that idea, they're not seeing the human. They have no idea who that person is, what their story is, where their background is, their hurts, insecurities, whatever. What they say is, hey, here's an opportunity for me to make money, which is Mm -hmm. on one hand, dehumanizing that person but at the same time the person that's gone in there has also gone okay they don't see the 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 woman the stripper as also somebody with feelings and thoughts and hurts and pains and emotions and a real human being either they're like oh Mm. here's somebody that can bring me some form of you know gratification or a sense of being sexually desired or whatever it might be yeah and my essential human need yeah, and yeah. My, my, my theory is is that because while on one hand there's a transactional need that's being met on both sides and there's nothing particularly wrong with that, there's this also this degree in which the man unconsciously resents the woman because she has something of power that he wants, that being the sex, and similarly the woman resents the man because he has something of power in that situation too that she wants, uh, namely in that case probably the cash or whatever it might be. Mm. 
And my theory is, is that somehow by dehumanizing us and drawing the, you know, the attachment away from the connection that's involved with sexuality and making it more of a, a power play thing, that in itself is actually fueling misogyny within our society. So men are now becoming, you know, aggr- men, men have this sense that women have this thing that they want and they're withholding it or they're using it to, to manipulate me as a man or whatever it might be. Mm. And that fuels this degree of resentment and anger and misogyny. And so when I look at misogyny, I go, this isn't just a, like, it is a problem and it's a problem with men, but this is a social problem as well. It's, it's I guess, a thought. Yeah, it's, it's definitely not one way. Mm. I mean, there are plenty of male strippers out there making plenty of money mm-hmm. off women. It's so I don't I don't think that that's necessarily a male female thing. No, I think that's just a a sex in society thing, mm. right? Where we have a basic human need, which we discussed earlier, that we don't feel like we're allowed to get because, you know. You can't go and have a one-night stand with someone because, God forbid, mm. <laughs> you hurt that person's feelings, um, you know, which obviously be careful. Um, and so it can be easier to and, – and we can try and shortcut our way to feeling desired and having that superficial connection via a transaction mm. because we are living in a materialistic world where we think we can buy everything that we need. Mm-hmm. But it's not this physical act of sex that we need. Mm. It is the intimate connection with another human being. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't matter how many strippers you go to, male or female. It doesn't matter how much sex you pay for. Sex mm. work is a real thing and I'm not disconnecting. I have no. lots of really good friends who, who have genuine jobs in the sex industry and it is a real industry and it is work and I totally get it. But it is, it's kind of like selling Band-Aids, mm. right? We sell Band-Aids to serve a purpose. They do a thing. They do a job. But it doesn't necessarily fix the fact that we all need to be connected emotionally Mm -hmm. into the collective consciousness. And we do that by having a relationship with each other and being involved in our own community. And the world is based on communities. That is the foundation of our lives. Mm -hmm. Everything is community and we have to have relationship with each other. And when we don't, that's where this stuff comes up, mm-hmm. you know, but, because but isn't that, we get um, scared. That dehumanisation thing is something I think that we let get the better of us in so many parts of our lives. I mean, social media is obvious, you know, like how often do we see people mm express things towards somebody on Facebook or Twitter or whatever that they would just, in a way that they would just never say to somebody sitting across a table from them. But he, I even think with my kids, you know, and my kids, Ray, are, uh, are older. Like my youngest is 17 and two inches taller than me and could put me down in a second if he wanted to. Well uh, done. Congratulations <laughs> on surviving teenagehood. <laughs> well, yeah, we're not there yet, but it's, uh, it's Almost. a work in progress. <laughs> <We're getting there. laughs> but, uh, and then I've got um, 20, you know, like young 22 girls in the young 20s but uh mm. i think with all of them like i look at them and i've tried to encourage them even when it comes to their road rage because i've taught all three of them primarily to drive my wife has done uh some of that but has mostly let me yeah. do that job <laughs> and uh and in the process i just think you know they'll come home and oh this person cut me off and they did this and, rah, and i think 
I've tried to help them to go, okay, cool. And that might suck, but maybe that person was just having a bad day. You know, like, mm. and I just think, you know, even just when we're driving and somebody cuts us off or somebody flips us the bird because they think we did something or, you know, whatever, it's it like, isn't that something that is just so tempting to do all the time is to forget that people are people? Well, I mean, you could also think of it differently and change your mindset and go, oh, they've just made my day interesting. Because how boring <laughs> yeah, is it driving on the true. freeway? Someone cuts you off. Drama, thank you, free entertainment, love it. <laughs> like, you, you know, mindset absolutely has got everything yeah. to do with it. Mm, totally. I had a discussion with someone today that was um, another podcast again, but it was like we all have the same destination, right? The destination of absolutely everyone, if we're driving a car down a freeway, our, we're all, our, all our destinations is death. We're all going to die. If whether you're alone, whether you're married, whether you're whatever. you know, in that car trip. But <laughs> right? But, like, not hopefully not in the country, but, like, do you know what I mean? Like, mm -hmm. yeah. that is the end destination. All we have is the journey. Mm -hmm. That is all we have. That is the part that you've got to enjoy. Stop thinking about, oh, when I get there, I'm going to do this or I'm going to suffer now so that I can do that. Have fun now. Mm -hmm. Enjoy the ride. Take the back road if that is going to be more relaxing. Mm -hmm. It may take longer. Great, you'll have a longer life. But sometimes I think we get stuck on this freeway that is what the world is telling us is the most important, the best, the quickest way to get to where we need to go. But maybe that's the quickest way and the best way that they want us to go. But maybe it's not the most enjoyable way to live life. Mm. You know, you've got to make your own choices on which road you're going to drive in your life and, and how you're going to perceive other people on that road whether you're going to get out and have a road rage and, and make it a horrible experience or whether you're going to get it out and smile and be like, oh, man, how you doing? I just hit your car. I'm so sorry. Are you all right? Like those two completely different sentences and, and body language when you meet someone in a, in a conflict is going to completely change the direction of that situation. Mm. And so, you know, uh, I think Oprah and like a whole bunch of gurus have said, you know, it's like it's self-responsibility. We can't change anyone else. You think about how hard it is to change yourself. Forget about trying to change anyone else. Focus on yourself. Be the change you want to see in the world. You know, like it's it's corny stuff, but it's so true. <laughs> yeah. It's so true. Yeah. I think I think that's a perfect spot to actually end the podcast and have a, you know, Be the change you want to see in the world. Exactly. Let's end on a corny one. <laughs> we start with Jesus. We'll end with Gandhi. And we're... <laughs> Ray, it's been an absolute pleasure to have you on. We'll have to get you on again sometime. I think there's just so many great thoughts and ideas that I we could explore. We barely talked about your music, way. Ray. I wanted to go there and I knew we were running out of time. So you'll have we to. We didn't come talk back. about music. That is my life, guys. I know, I know. I actually don't even know what we've talked about. <laughs> we haven't talked about much at all. Go check out Ray on social media, Ray Lee Oz, so R-A-E-L-E-I-G-H-A-U-S. Uh, check out Songwriter Tris Podcast, plenty of great stuff. Ray, thank you so much for joining us on the Awkward In Between Podcast. Thanks so Thanks much for Ray. having me, guys. And well done for doing this podcast. It's great. <laughs> <laughs>